0: the word intentional what does it mean to you i feel like i'm gonna i've i've been getting an hour of what you would think of it <laughs> so um in in a, in a shorter version what does the word "intentional" mean?
1: well you? N- knowing what you want i think you had mentioned that before knowing what you want and being very specific in your behavior not just thinking and knowing but executing
2: welcome to the intentional growth podcast the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies.
3: Welcome back, everybody, to the Intentional Growth Podcast. This is episode 277, and today we have an amazing guest on the show. His name is Jay Steinfeld. And he is the Blinds.com founder, and he bootstrapped his company with only 3000 bucks in 1996 to a sizable competitor to the big box shops like Home Depot, who actually acquired the company in 2014. Jay was an early adopter to this thing called the internet and transformed his small retail business into the world's number one online blinds retailer, as well as the leading e-tailer in hard-to-buy custom categories of home goods. Jay intentionally designed a successful exit to Home Depot that included him staying on to run Blinds.com for six years, which if you've been tuning in this podcast for a while, that does not happen very often, if at all, and Jay is going to unpack why he stayed on. Jay is a passionate advocate and frequent speaker on how company culture and authentic core values can drive profitable growth. Throughout his journey, Jay identified four principles that guided his decision-making in every aspect of business and life which led to his continuous happiness and success. And throughout the episode, you can hear as I'm trying to really corner Jay to see how truly happy he has been along his journey, given some very hard circumstances he's been presented with. And I'll tell you what, Jay truly embodies these four principles that he calls the four E's. Evolve continuously, experiment without fear of failure, express yourself, and enjoy the ride. Honestly, Jay is so inspirational and he unpacks all four of these E's and his uh, what he now has packaged up in his book called Leading from the Core that he just released. And I'm super excited for this episode. Jay thinks that every business owner needs to stop asking themselves how little they can do for their employees before they quit and start wondering how much more they can do and why this is a smarter strategy. And I don't think that this could be any more timely and relevant given today's labor issues and the things that are all up in the air because of the disruption this last couple of years. It's an amazing episode. I hope you enjoy my interview with Jay.
2: Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes.
0: Jay, how are you? Looking forward to this uh, conversation we're about to embark upon.
1: Ryan, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So I uh, I gotta uh, connect some of the dots for the listeners. So I was uh, looking on LinkedIn. I saw uh, I wanna give a shout out to Arturo who's down in Vistage in uh, Texas, and he had commented on your post of your book launch. And then of course I pulled a th- pull the pulled the pulled the string, and all of a sudden I'm like, com the Home Depot. You're a conscious capitalism fan, and you wrote this new book. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> gotta get Jay on the on the conversation or on the on the on the show. So. There's a lot of different ways we're going to go with this, Jay. Uh, and I'm, I'm very excited for the, the, the dynamic conversation that I have the opportunity to embark upon. For the listeners that might not be familiar with the kind of the cliff note, blinds.com story, uh, why don't you kind of explain how you got to where you are, the book that you just got done writing, and then we'll go back and we'll just go a, different, a bunch of different directions with the conversation.
1: Okay. Uh, back in 1987, I owned a little 1,000 square foot shop that sold blinds and shades called Laura's Draperies. It was actually started by my wife, whose name was Naomi. Yeah, <laughs> Naomi started the business. I had just been hired <laughs> as VP of finance from Meineke Discount Mufflers, and that's a whole story in itself. So I needed something to do. I was a CPA, so naturally, the best thing for me to do would be to sell blinds. So we opened up. <laughs> we opened up a second store and I'm going to people's homes, helping them decide what window covering they should buy. It was a good business. We were ultimately doing about a million and a half dollars and making decent amount of money there. And then I heard in, in 1993 about something called the World Wide Web. I thought, whoa, what is that? I didn't know what email was. No, 1993 was the year before Amazon even started. Forget Google, YouTube, Uber, Mm -hmm. none of that was there. Broadband wasn't even there. People didn't even know, I didn't know, that you could buy things online. But it was just a little experiment. I wanted to make buying blinds and shades a no-brainer. So we called it No-Brainer Blinds, the world's most popular and trusted online source for blinds because we were the only ones selling blinds at the time. (laughs) So it was just me. People would call into the store, into the Laura's Drapery store, and they'd say, all of our customer representatives are busy. And then they'd call me in between my appointments at Laura's Draperies. And I would answer these calls, actually, would call them back from my car in between appointments.
0: And with one of those huge cell phones that's like nailed into it's, your it's car. Exactly, it's your exactly car. one of those big brick phones.
1: I when I when I talk live. I show a picture of that phone. It's a giant phone. I love it. I love it. It's crazy.
0: Like three grand a month or something like that. <laughs> and I
1: had, I had a calculator on my front seat. I had order pads. And I would just write it in and talk to people from my phone. I was the whole company. I did that for a few years. At some point, I said, you know, this is crazy. I probably should hire somebody. And I hired a couple of people to answer the calls. And then I would just going out and doing my Lord's Draperies thing while part-time, I had people answering the the calls. And by 2001, I was doing as much online with those two people, with me doing virtually nothing, as I was in my store. And I was working seven days a week in my store. I mean, what is wrong with this picture? What's wrong is Mm -hmm. I need to get out of the retail business and never have a store again. Of course, once I sold to Home Depot, we had 2,000 stores, but that's, a, that's <laughs> way in the future. Circle, circle, it comes full yeah, circle, Yeah, but right. it was worth it. So that's how it started. It was really just a, a marketing experiment for Laura's. The first website was for Laura's.com, and it, it only was a brochure, no e-commerce. Then once, mm-hmm. once uh, Amazon started, I thought, well, you can sell books. Maybe you can sell blinds. I mean, I've got a great idea. I'm, people aren't going to be able to see it. They're not going to be able to touch it. They can't see the color. I'm going to make a measure it themselves mm-hmm. and they're going to have to install it themselves. Well, everybody says that was a harebrained idea, but I did it anyway, because what did I have to lose? I had nothing to lose. Right. Three thousand dollars. And that's how it started. I had no vision as to what that could be. I had no vision of what the Internet could be. It was just an experiment. It was one little small mm-hmm. step to see if I could incrementally improve my business, incrementally improve myself, and eventually we really were the number one online retailer of blinds in the world and doing hundreds of millions of dollars and a lot more now.
0: Jay and and I it's such a good story and I know you summed up uh I'm assuming so many things and you know two decades worth of experience in a couple of minutes and you know, uh, to kind of set us off, I want to set some context because uh, you know I listened to your podcast interview with John Warlow, which was uh, I thought fantastic. You guys were getting a lot of the mechanics of you know you taking on some money from private equity, you know, prior to selling to Home Depot, and just some of these challenges that I do want to get some uh, get some insights on. But what I think is super interesting and about your story is your the 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 length that you did it. The you know a very very large big box shop that bought you, and yet you I saw your conscious capitalism uh, presentation and you know what the context I want to set here is that I find it extremely difficult from five years of doing interviews like this for an entrepreneur who starts out like you know the CPA selling blinds right that about sums sort up of, like the whole e myth right the plumber that just wants to be a plumber by himself
1: and that should be on my grave my grave uh, stone. <laughs> Who was it? It was a CPA who sold blinds. I never thought about that. That's it. actually catchy. I like it.
0: <laughs> well, and I got a, bu- I know, I got a bunch of recovering CPAs uh, and current CPAs on staff as well, so <laughs> yeah. I, I understand the, the the irony there too. Is that the? But what's so interesting, Jay, is that. I see I see this evolution that people go through when they have their company of like, then all of a sudden that, you know, this business becomes something, it's part of their identity. They realize that they're starting to make an impact with the business. And you you went through a, a tragic event with your wife that you had mentioned in your presentation that really got you thinking. And I'm really curious, you know, just kind of set the overall wrapper to the conversation about this journey that you had eventually selling to uh, Home Depot and then your book is kind of the, the shifting of your mindset and the evolution of like, hey, this is a business that could be worth something. And and then as you got that purpose, keeping alignment with the purpose and the impact that you want to have with your business to still running and growing and selling a business that becomes sometimes emotionless for a lot of the parties involved. And so, you know, maybe kind of give some, uh, you know, start with like what happened through your experience with your wife that that allowed you to find this purpose and how you integrated that into the company?
1: Well, I said in 2001, I actually sold the store, Laura's draperies and went full-time online because, well, we were doing just as much online and it was a lot easier and it was a lot more fun, way more fun. Well, (laughs) in 2002, August 12th, 2002, to be exact, after being married to Naomi for, more than 25 years, three children, love of my life, uh, met her in college. She died from breast cancer. So there I was, depressed, wondering, will I ever be happy again? How do I maintain my optimism? And decided I I needed to do something. I couldn't just stay sad. I had mm-hmm. all these employees now. I had these three children. I'm a single parent. I started becoming very introspective about what makes me tick. How do I define happiness? How do I define success? Those type of existential things. And I mm-hmm. studied myself. And I studied books on philosophy, on happiness, neuroscience, core values, purpose, vision. All the kinds of things that, to me at the time, being a CPA, seemed kind of soft and squishy and the idealistic things that the HR department would create and put on a plaque, hang it on a wall, and never think about it again. But I needed to do this, books like um, uh, Built to Last by Jim Collins that talked about core values, Hewlett Packard and these other companies. So I said, well, maybe that's what I need to do. And I did. And I started thinking about what really was important to me. And I came up with two or three things, two of which turns out not to have been the right things, but at the time I thought they were. And really even my core values, and one of them is to evolve continuously. My core values evolved even. But without going through all those now, the point is it took death for me to wake up and say, I need to know who I am. And you say there was uh, more objective, less fun. Well, it was always fun for me. Being in business is fun. Making a difference is fun. Hiring people is fun because you're evolving. And my core values Mm -hmm. are simply now, and I'm going to distill it down to four things that are definitely the reason how a couple of hundred people, really less than that, could beat Home Depot, could beat and still beat Amazon. Like, how did this small Mm -hmm. little group of people do this? It was because we understood our core values of, we call them the four E's. First E is to evolve continuously. And that means you have to evolve and you have to evolve everything around you. Processes, advertising, just whatever there is in business, you always have to get better. But your responsibility is not just to the business. In fact, it's more to yourself. We require people to get better. It's not we suggest you get better and evolve. That's what we do. It's a core value. We wake up with the purpose of evolving and evolving everything around us. To get people to become better than what they ever believe possible, the purpose of blinds.com was to help people become better than what they ever believe possible. That's our purpose. It's not to change the word, world. It's not to beautify the world with great blinds. It's not to be the number one online retailer of blinds in the world, although we were. <laughs> that, that was a result of our core values. So evolve continuously. Second, in order to evolve, you have to take chances. You've got to try things, experiment, experiment without fear of failure. You say, of course, everybody knows that businesses need to take chances, but it's hard. People don't wanna fail. They're afraid of looking stupid. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of reasons, psychological and otherwise, practical. You experiment, you fail, you get fired. That's a practical reason. So people are not used to trying to do things a little bit differently. But if you Mm -hmm. want to get better, you got to do that. The third thing is express. Express yourself. For me to make a decision, I need data. For everybody to make a decision, you need data. You want a lot of data. You want disparate points of view, which means you want everybody to feel free and safe to speak up. And when everybody speaks mm-hmm. up for the purpose of helping everybody else get better, to become better than what they ever believed possible, you've got an organization that gets better automatically. It's autonomous excellence. You do very little as a, as a CEO when you have an organization that is automatically getting better. And then the fourth E is sort of the combination of all those others. Enjoy. Enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. And enjoy the ride can be celebrating, eating food, cake, foosball, fire pits, whatever, you, whatever you're going to do. Giant lava lamps, which we had. <laughs> they were huge. It was like you'd see these, these giant lava lamps in, in Las Vegas or something. That's how big they were. Fact, the guy actually did Lava Lambs in Las Vegas, which is how I found him. No, awesome. so it, it's, it's fun. So, but it's not about that. Enjoying the ride is about evolving. It's about experimenting. It's about expressing yourself. It's having the security and the safety to not have to talk the way you think other people want you to talk. To be, to be mm-hmm. yourself, to not wear the corporate mask, however you want to say it. And when you've got people who are themselves and are free to talk and can, they can just be much more creative and they solve problems much more easily because they try things that they in another organization they might not have tried. They develop software that is so good that it can get integrated into 2000 stores and a platform like Home Depot that has 450,000 mm-hmm. employees and does I don't know, I think $130 billion, billion dollars. So the software that this tiny little group of people created with not much money was able to be good enough to help customers throughout the world. That's fun because when you want to build something of significance and of consequence, the first thing you do is you help people make their lives become consequential. And that's what we did. We help oh, people become consequential, so in turn, we could achieve things that people thought were not possible by using less money than people thought we needed. Well, of course, Home Depot wants to buy us. We're kicking their butt. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love
0: it. I love it. Um, so, what I first of all, anybody that hears the passion that you have in these four core values, and I can only assume your employees, like everybody would probably want to work with you or partner with you or you know buy things from you. I mean, I can just, it, you know, people become the first domino. What, what I'm super intrigued with as we go down this conversation, Jay, is like, I have, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that are not from private equity or the world of raising money and all the finance stuff that we can talk about, but I, you know, a lot of them don't know those type of things that private equity firms know, right? And we can get to that, like how you raise the money and how you end up eventually sold. But I think it's so difficult for people to stay true to something like you just talked about, because like every entrepreneur has their own version of this business that is a part of them and how they're expressing themselves through their customers and their tools and their competition or whatever it is, it's so difficult I've seen for people to know that this company is a financial asset, because it, it is, and it can create the wealth that allows them to have the impact and the enjoyment that they want. But they don't know the mechanics of the valuation, the value growth and exit options to the mechanical like, rules of the game that allow them to keep the true north of all the things that are important to them. So I'm curious, like as you went through this journey after you, you know, had the introspective, reflecting, you came up with this, how did you balance the mechanics of, you know, financing, and growing, and raising the money and the shareholder issues, like with, like, hey, I want to make the impact with these four core values that I think are so important? Because I think so many times people can get taken advantage of if they don't know the game, the mechanical rules of the game. they they you know, that what I what we call the first principle, to, you know, the, the squishy stuff, like you said, becomes the the thing that actually gets sacrificed unfortunately
1: for so many people but for me that is what we did if if it's a if it is a true authentic core value and people say authentic transparent they use these words but they i don't think they really know what it means when when you have a core value this is what it means to me it means when you wake up in the morning this is what guides your behavior this is what you do You improve, you speak up, you experiment, and you look to have fun. What better way to do it than a business? My wife, Barbara, said he goes to his playground every day. (laughs) I love it. He goes to his playground every day. And there was not one day, not one day that I didn't have fun. There was not one. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't really hard days or, quote, failures. But if your core values are to evolve, then what better than failure to teach you how to get better? And when I started, I knew nothing. If you had had this interview with me before, I'd be sitting here just not be able to say anything because I didn't know anything. (laughs) I knew
0: nothing. Totally. I I can
1: relate. (laughs) So I had... I had no bad um, habits. So when I was able to, with a learning mentality, to seek out the people who knew way more than I did, to hire people who were way smarter and more of a domain expert in marketing, in IT, in call center management, these weren't things I knew. So you hire, you learn, you read, I have something called just-in-time learning. So when I needed to think Mm -hmm. about branding, I read like three or four books and articles on branding until I felt like I had enough to at least hire somebody who really knew it, but it put me in a better position to be able to hire and know what I wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. Look, just if you're Mm -hmm. driving a car, you don't have to be a mechanic to drive it, but you know what the car does. It it drives, Mm -hmm. it turns, it backs up, it steers so that's really all you need to know is that a car will propel you somewhere but you get the mechanics you get the uh, the drivers other people to do that work you don't have to do it well and
0: and and i love that and i think um, there's a lot to be learned from trying to internalize that because intellectually knowing is one thing and then actually like you said behaving that way is a different thing you know one thing that like you, you would mention in the um one of your stories about when you had misalignment with your shareholders, the, the original shareholders, some other shareholders that had come uh, along for part of the ride. I don't know when and where they got involved, but um, I thought it was really interesting when I was hearing your story. You know, One of the challenges I see so many business owners deal with is that they have multiple shareholders that have different core values or different things that they want with the money. Like, I want the money today, which we call solving for annual income, suck all the cash out of it versus, hey, I want to reinvest for growth. Like that is where you know, a lot of the challenges, whether they're whether they're obvious to the people that are arguing about it or, or arguing or debating about it, or whatever you want to call it, versus like, hey, you know, this is like, we're just disagreeing with what we want to do with the money or invest this person or take the money back. How did you take the core values that you had and the vision that you had for the company and use those tools to have these discussions with people about the business and what you were trying to do with it and how, like, how that misalignment worked?
1: Well, this is going to sound a little curt, and I don't mean it to be. But if they weren't aligned with the core values, we got rid of them. It, <laughs> well, <laughs> I a of it. What a great answer. I mean, that, if you have core values and this is what makes you tick, then you have to get rid of the things that are not making you tick, that are getting in the way. I don't think the point anything that I ever say is particularly – Uh, visionary or really smart, it just seems so logical. If if things are getting in your way, get rid of them. If things aren't working, stop doing them. If things are working, Mm -hmm. do more of it, a lot more of it. So when we hire, we look for people who already have proven to us that they are wanting to improve their lives. We're not looking for somebody to come in and say, hey, we have a learning environment and we expect you to get better. We want to know that that person already has the propensity within them to improve. So we'll ask questions in the interview. Tell me about some things you're doing right now to get better at anything. And if they are taking cooking lessons or learning how to build uh, a radio, things like that, that's great. So this person has already proven that they are a person who has the core value of wanting to improve, Mm -hmm. because if you don't have that core value when you're in in an organization that expects evolution, you're going to be you're going to be ostracized because you're not you're not rising up to the level of the challenge and people will see it and it will be very painful for you. And eventually you're going to leave. We had investors who did exactly what you said. They just wanted cash. And I was the biggest stockholder, so I would get the most cash as it would be distributed. But I wanted to take the money, put it back into the business and grow it. They'd go, what do you need an IT department for? You're selling blinds. I said, no, we are a marketing company. We're a technology company that just happens to be selling blinds. And we're eventually going to be selling more than blinds, which we actually ended up doing. So once that happened and we had taken up to that point, 16 years into the into our business, we had taken no institutional capital, zero. Then we took just a small minority raise uh, from a private equity firm and uh, bought out the two stockholders who wanted the cash. That's why we took the money. Now they had a lot more mm-hmm. value as well, but they were aligned to get rid of people who were not aligned and help us build the business. And it was a it was a beautiful relationship. It was great. It, you, know, you hear all these horror stories about private equity. This was not a horror, this was a dream. This was not a nightmare. It was awesome. I love it. And it was less than after that we sold the business. Unbeknownst to them and us, because we didn't think we were ready to sell it yet. We weren't looking to sell the business. We were just making so many inroads and selling so much and really, I guess, upsetting the competition because we were doing so much more than really everybody else combined. It was like, who are these guys? What are they? What? (laughs) What are they doing? Poke, 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 poke the big man. (laughs) Well, our advertising at the time was um, prices lower than Home Depot and lower than Lowe's. And do you want a schmuck from plumbing to sell you blinds? I mean, they did not (laughs) like that. We really, there was a a talk show host that that used to say that. We never said it, but he did. When (laughs) I went back after we sold the business to Home Depot, Bernie Marcus, one of the founders, came up to me. He goes, what are you doing? You can't say that stuff about us anymore. And of course I stopped. I was very (laughs) (laughs) courteous. I'm not going to tell Bernie Marcus, no. But but it was all about, and it was fun. I mean, you can tell even that conversation, which was a serious conversation, I'm I'm kind of smiling. It was a, you know, it's just an incredible outcome to building something of consequence and by helping people become consequential.
0: So I, I want to talk about that and the exit to Home Depot. And then I want to go back because I think there's some really good insights that we can get the listeners to understand on like your, the business model and then how you actually went about that private equity structure. But like the the first question I have, Jay, is that I, uh, I see so many, especially right now with the amount of M&A activity and the money sloshing around and private equity is, uh, I mean, it's just running rampant. And Again, private equity or big strategic buyers, there's a spectrum, right? You got the really good ones that are amazing, and then there's all the, the rest, right? And I think when you said when you say building something of consequence and changing people's lives and having fun, and all the stuff that you're talking about, I find it very difficult for people that have been on the show sharing their stories to align what they built in their core values and their like their conscious capitalism mission with someone that is like optimizing for shareholder value at all costs that are that are doing stock buybacks that don't give a a shit about anybody else. Excuse my language. But it's like literally like and again that but you build this thing and I think there's this misnomer that someone says, hey, the only way you get your hundred million is selling to the devil or you don't do anything. And it's like I think that there people don't realize that there's a lot of flavors in between that. So they just don't know, like, hey, like, because I, how much passion you have about your, you know, the core values in the book, aligning that with something where you don't take the money and then it all gets put away. And and how did you think through that 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 um, landscape when you were going about this?
1: Well, you do not need to gut your soul to build a business. You do not need to be harsh. You don't need to be a jerk. You can be kind. You can bring humanity into business. I think my book, Lead from the Core, The Four Principles for Profit and Prosperity, is about bringing humanity back into business. It's got all these stories that that we've talked about and a lot of stories, and it talks about the four E's a lot and gives plenty of examples, and it's tactical and prescriptive and strategic for entrepreneurs who are building a business and wanting to build it. But what the real heart of it is, if you really get down to it, is you can be nice. In fact, the more generous you are, the more you get back. You hear that, but it Mm -hmm. is so true. You should give people the most you can that's in the long-term interest of the company. You shouldn't see what little you can give and see if you can get away with it, which is what people think you need to do. You don't need to do that. And look, our results were amazing. If our results weren't good, then all the stuff I'm talking about, you know, it'd be false precision. It, it would just be. BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were growing 25% compounded every year. We were improving our gross margin by, by uh, 400 basis points within a couple of years. We Our bottom line was strong. Our retention was good. Our turnover was only 8%. turnover. So the numbers spoke for themselves. So if you're a private equity company coming in, or a strategic buyer like Home Depot who comes in, they say, we don't want to screw this up. This core value stuff that Jay's talking about and that we see actually is happening, is working. I don't necessarily believe in it, and I don't know that I could do it, but It's working for him. And as long as his numbers are good, let him be how he is. And that's pretty much what happened. I think people were not necessarily uh, aligned really authentically with it, but they knew it was working. And for us, Mm -hmm. customer intimacy and caring about people first created the the profit and the growth and the giant market share that we had and the low Mm -hmm. uh, turnover rate we had. I think now even, when you think about why are people leaving, what is this great resignation? What is is strike-tober? All these things. I think it's actually, you you can blame the pandemic and yeah, technology has made it easier to do it. And there's a lot of employers that say, well, I guess I better believe in a distributed workforce or I'm not going to be able to keep people. And that is actually true. But why are people wanting to leave in the first place? Because you're not providing them with what they need. And as long as you're paying them fairly, what they need is to feel safe, what they need is to feel consequential, to have significance, to have a voice, and to feel that generosity and the support that you really want them to become the best they can be. Whether it's at your company, Or whether ultimately they want to go somewhere else and run their own company. And why not have a a heart-to-heart, candid uh, conversation with your employees and know that? Why Mm -hmm. Why don't people say, what do you really want out of your life? Do you want to become the VP here? Do you want to be a senior manager? Oh, no, you want to be a CEO somewhere. All right, well, let's help you become a CEO. Here are the things that you need to do that, and I'm going to help you do that. Why would somebody what do you think the reason to do is, that? Why would somebody leave? They wouldn't, because they're being paid and they're becoming better, and you're helping them achieve their goal. And in the meantime, you've got an engaged uh, employee who is on board and doing everything they can to reciprocate. And it's not about mm-hmm. manipulation. It's about, it's about caring, and it's about alignment. And it's about teamwork and it's about all having that same passion for all becoming the best we can be. Again, whether it's with you or outside, but better that they do it with you for the time they're going to be there than to leave because you're not providing them with the development that they need. I li-
0: I don't think that there's a way I could agree with you more in any of your comments. I, I've seen it. I've been in companies where it, you know it's not acted upon, and it's just obvious, right? Like I mean, again, it's easier from the outside. You go like, look, at it. <laughs> it's just, a, I, it's very clear why people are leaving, why they've hit you know stalled their growth. I mean, it's all people. Whether you're doing e-commerce, you're doing services, or manufacturing, or it's all based in people. And I, and I think. Go back to uh, to expand on my question is like you know all of the clarity you had on what was important and how important the people are and the stakeholders like you just described. How did you make sure that the private equity firm and Home Depot all, were aligned with you? And then how did you protect yourself in the agreements structurally? Because like, and here's here's the the, the the more context behind the question, Jay is. So many times people have been on this show, and I've seen it in my life. Like where you either get really lucky because the private equity firm actually had a soul and they did what they said that they were going to do or they said all the right things, documents get signed, they trip covenants to take the shares that you know like some something like that happens even though they told you what they wanted you to or what you wanted to hear to get the deal done. So I think there's a little bit of like trust and then make sure to verify or protect yourself. So how did you have those conversation with both the private equity firm and Home Depot and keep your alignment with, while it's protecting
1: yourself. Okay, so there's really two parts to your question. The first one is about the private equity firm and the second one was Home Depot. And they're both mm-hmm. different answers. And they're, I think they're both pretty interesting, especially the Home Depot part. So let me start with the less interesting one and that's the more of the business side. Okay. <laughs> build up. Build up. Oh, exactly, build up to Home Depot. It's not just luck. I mean, is it luck when you hire an employee and they work out or they don't work out? I mean, there is some luck, but you need to do diligence. You need to ask certain questions. You need to talk to people that, that have been part of their portfolios. Ask them the question. Tell me about some times when things were not going well, when they were going sideways. How did they react? What happened then? Find out what happens when things aren't exactly uh, kosher. And you can ask lots of questions like that to find out if there's alignment. And when you talk to people, you don't just talk to that head, head person, the lead investor. You talk to people within their organization. You potentially go to their office. You talk to other people. You talk to the analysts who are doing the diligence. You really study the people and get comfort. It's not luck. Again, there is some luck and sometimes, look, I've I've made hiring Mm -hmm. mistakes too and I could have made a mistake and I was paranoid about making the wrong choice. But I think Mm -hmm. you can do some diligence and feel and, and put the odds more in your favor. And you can tell about when you talk about your vision, whether it resonates with them and you can ask questions. So how would you see your part in this long-term plan, what do you think about it? What would you do to help us along? You ask b- behavioral questions like that, and you can find out if they go. Well, I don't know. I mean, we're really just interested in you. I, you know, going public, and we've never been asked that question before. Well, that they're out. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's not somebody who would you would want to do business with. Now, I say this like you've got plenty of choices. Most companies don't have plenty of choices. And when there's somebody and you've got, let's say you've got one or two possible term sheets, you know, it's, it's a little sketchy. We had seven term sheets, but I will say, this first seven that we approached all turned us down. We got turned down oh, by wow. the first seven people. And that's another story, which we can get back to as to what I changed. The one thing I changed that would, that, that switched the whole, the whole discussion around. Okay, so that was, it doesn't have to be luck. It can can actually, it's like hiring again. With Home Depot, that's another matter. Home Depot is buying you. And yes, it's your baby. And you started it with just an idea. And you were this tiny little startup. Really, you're taking orders from your car, literally. (laughs) And then you build it up doing hundreds of millions and hundreds of employees and integrating with 2,000 stores and all that. But well, when you sell to a company like that, first, does it really matter? I mean, they give you money. And, you know, if they give you enough money, it's it's a good thing. I mean, you built this up. You sold it. I, look, as, You, you sold
0: it to them, as, and it's
1: now theirs. As, as much as I care about core values and purpose, and I do, obviously, uh, at some point, you sell your company, you take the money, and you leave. That's the simple answer. Now, with Home Depot, I stayed on 7 years after I sold. Have you ever heard talked to Wow, I didn't know it was that one. Talked to any entrepreneur that sold their company to a big company and stayed let more than 90 days or a year? I don't
0: think I I don't think I and I've got hundreds of interviews that I don't think I've heard of one. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think back. I don't, I don't think I think you're I think you got the I got You got the award for that. one. I know. It's, it's,
1: I don't like using the word unicorn because it, it implies something else in business. But it's, it's unusual. My attorney said she's never seen it before. So why? Why did I stay? Because we had these this understanding that we are different. Yes. Home Depot does care about its associates. No question. Respect for all invid- Individuals do the right thing. That is true with Home Depot, but their first is their first tendency is towards operational excellence. And they are very excellent at operational excellence, are yeah. excellence at customer intimacy. We care and look first at our customers and our people, intimate with people. And I don't know, have you heard of the book, uh, The Love Languages, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman? Yeah. Okay. So just for anyone who's listening that doesn't know about that, there is a, um, a theory that he has that everybody has their own love language. It could be touch. It could be doing having quality time, doing work for the other person. There's there's five of them. And as long as you, I'm,
0: I'm the affirmation junkie. Yeah. If you if no, you I'm give me affirmation, affirmation, I'll just melt. That's
1: another one. <laughs> and by the way, Ryan, you're doing a great job.
0: <laughs> you're hey, thank you. Hey, hey, let's let's have you back on the show. What <laughs> up, what do you want me to do? Okay?
1: <laughs> so I love it. The, the the idea is that you with your with your significant other understand that your love language is different and don't try to make the other person into your love language it could be completely different and don't get frustrated by it same thing in business I think there's three love languages as I learned from reading the book uh, the discipline of market leaders it's operational efficiency customer intimacy and uh, innovation technical innovation or just innovation really and those are three love languages and we of course, we were never going to change Home Depot. Giant, you know, monolithic company doing very, very well. And here we are. We just had to prevent them from changing us. And the CEO and really everybody said, look, we have this history like all big companies when they take in small to just suck them in and grind them down. Don't let that happen. Speak up. Well, Great, because that happens to be one of my core values, to express myself. And now I've got all this money, so I don't really need the job. I don't need the money. So it, made it, it did make it a lot easier. No matter Yeah. So it did make it a lot easier. But I also had this vision of taking what we had built, this platform of selling complex, customizable products, configurable products, as they call them at Home Depot, and eventually selling more than blinds. And we had never actually been able to do that. With Home Depot, ah, voila, we have merchants, we've got supply chain, we have customers, we've got everything. Now we can take that platform, and if we convince them to let us do it, which we did, we can then become even better. And our vision of being the best in the world at selling configurable products will happen. And that's why I stayed, because they gave us autonomy to continue doing that. They allowed us to feel significant and consequential in our own little bitty corner of the giant house of Home Depot. And we were continuing to build it. And they gave us money. And we we're, we're, we're doing all these things. Who would walk away from that? Because it gets back again to my core values. There is no misalignment. We were evolving. Mm-hmm. We were experimenting. I was speaking up to Home Depot and it was gobs of fun. So fun. Oh, I I'm,
0: I love it. Well, and, and was there anything that you, because like, I think that's every, every entrepreneur that I've talked to that doesn't want to do an ESOP or some sort and like keep it in their family or some sort of like, you know, like longer play for them on their own. If they want to sell to a strategic buyer the strategic buyer respect Bo Burlingham wrote this wonderful book called finish big he's been on my show a couple of times and it's all about the entrepreneur knowing who they are what they want from their business and why being super clear and then aligning that that clarity with the buyer and the buyer appreciating what and being respectful of what they've built and then the owner being proud of the process I mean that that. It's like almost a self-evident truth that that's what people want, but so many times it doesn't happen. And I'm wondering, like, you know, obviously you asking all the questions and making sure that there is alignment. Is there anything that you did to make sure that like after the fact, when you're on, you know, quarter four of the deal and you're sitting in a meeting and they go, hey, you know what? I think we're going to do some new persons in there and they want to have a different strategy of like, you know, whether it's bastardizing your offering or something.
1: It happened all the time. It happened all. <laughs> it, happened, it happened every quarter, not just the fourth quarter. <laughs> when, we, when we first, uh, after we were, we were sold with Home Depot, it, I, I call it merged. It was a merger. And I know we were this little bitty 115 million and they were doing at the time 80 billion, but the document says merger agreement. So I call it a merger. And every time I say that with <laughs> them, they they smile at me like, oh, that's very cute, Jay. It's very cute. <laughs> you merge with us. But I support it. it. I love but it. But they say it. And that was a really important thing for internally for us to know that we were merging with them. We weren't being gobbled up. It was a mindset that we had that we could actually influence. We were like we were like a tiny drop of magic potion in a giant vat of Home Depot. And you could put awesome. that little drop in there and it would, be, it would barely tint the water, but it was there. It was there. And we knew it was there. And the fact that we knew we were having an effect on Home Depot of any kind, that we were evolving and helping others around us, Home Depot and its customers evolve, was very satisfactory. It was gratifying to be able to do that. So there's, there's no misalignment here. But there was a time when, Mm -hmm. right afterwards also where they wanted to change our compensation plan because the way we were paying people was so different than the way they were doing it. And they go, well, you know, we're a public company. We have to be fair. We have to be consistent. We can't let one person get paid one way and another person another way. So, you know, Jay, we're not going to do that anymore. And I said, you know, guys, we are. We are gonna do it because here's why. <laughs> Let me tell you why, but it wasn't like I was arguing. I was just influencing. Expressing, letting them know. expressing
0: yourself, right?
1: I said, look, look what this is doing and gave them data and facts to support. It wasn't just some crazy idea because we were paying people not just based on quantifiable metrics, but on qualifiable metrics. We were paying people in our, in our contact center which, by the way, we didn't even call it a contact center. We called it a customer engagement center, the CEC, because we weren't having transactions with our customers. We were engaging with them to understand their needs and providing solutions and mm-hmm. all that. So what we were doing is paying them to not only make lots of transactions and large transactions, but they also needed to supply the right solution. So if, a, if, you, if you sold somebody the wrong product, You were penalized. In fact, you might not have gotten paid anything for that sale because you didn't provide the right solution and you didn't make it easy for the customer to understand what they needed. You weren't asking the right questions to uncover what their real needs were. There was a lot of quality built in and it's subjective in some times. But that's a a perfect example of how we just spoke up. We also did this. Uh, Pixar, when it was... uh, When it it merged with Disney, Uh, Ed Catmull, who was the CEO, and he wrote one of my favorite books called Creativity Inc., talks about what they did to have sort of – this is going to sound a little harsh, and I don't mean it to be – rules of engagement, memo Mm -hmm. of understanding. Now, he actually did that. I had a – we drafted and it got approved a letter that said, okay – Blinds.com, you can keep your titles. I mean, I'm a CEO, but we actually dissolved our corporation, which meant, am I really a CEO? We, they let me stay mm-hmm. as a CEO. And we had vice presidents and we had senior vice presidents. We kept our titles. We kept the name Blinds.com because we wanted to maintain our identity. And there were a lot of things like that. Mm-hmm. Our compensation program, we said, had to stay. We, had, we said, we we're going to stay I love in it. Houston. Which is where we're where we're based. So all these things that I felt were important to us, to our identity, and to, that were the kind of the secret sauce that people wouldn't necessarily know about. We wanted to make sure that that stayed, and it didn't mean it wasn't going to change, but at least we gave it a shot, and it did. And they've been super with us. I mean, why would I stay for seven years? And-, and now that I'm gone, they're doing even better, which is even a that's a, like, a relief. <laughs> It's in fact, I wrote the book. I wrote the book so that when I when I knew I was going to be leaving, there would be this primer as to, well, here's what we did to get to where we are, and mm-hmm. if you stay true to this, we can continue to do what we've done in the past. That's why I originally wrote it, and then as I was teaching the, in the business school, I thought, wow, everybody needs this, and then so I just expanded the book to for more than just what we did at uh, Blinds.com. And it's been awesome.
0: I love it. I love it. And well, you're because you're you're moving on to something. But before we get to that, Jay, you know, one thing that I, you know, is I'm observing from how you're discussing the the, the, even the private equity. I want to go back to what you did after the seven people said no, but the and then the the Home Depot transaction is you built a really really good company that other people wanted that gave you choices. And that's honestly the number one thing I want for every business so you said your purpose is to have uh help people have- you know make a was it consequential um, help
1: people become better than what they ever believed possible
0: and I want entrepreneurs to have as many choices that they possibly can have, and one of the best ways to do that is to have a valuable business that you can get what you want out of it and so what did you do? You know are there inflection points where you you were building a like a, a really good business that allowed you to have those choices because you know i think so many times an entrepreneur will circumvent things not invest in the business and they get to that point where the energy it's like it's like you know it's like climbing everest every morning because they don't like their business anymore and by the time they get to that point you say hey by the way jay you gotta you know invest and do these things over the next three to five years burn cash and reinvest and do these things to get the value that you want and then it's just like you might as well have told them that everything's over so it's about you know building value to then when that moment that you wake up you say hey i want something a little bit different the audible offer happens something changes i have choices so like are there things that you did in the business that you look back and go that really moved the needle on the value to create a good company that allowed you to have those choices? Yeah,
1: there are a lot of those, obviously, but I do want to just take a little exception to something you said. I don't think you have to actually think about your business to get it to some place so that then you have the choice of doing what you want. That wasn't what I was doing. I was just incrementally improving myself and our people and the business actually did as well. And as a result, that gave me the choice. It wasn't because I achieved anything, but it was because my definition of success is not attaining a goal or achieving a sales target, although that is successful, but my definition of success is being in the process of improving and improving everything around me. So I can be successful every day. In fact, I can be successful multiple times during the day. If I just do something a little bit different that makes it a little better, if I can have a conversation with one of my employees to help them get just a little bit better, both of those are definitions for me of success. And when you evolve continuously, you are are being successful really every day and multiple times throughout the day. And if you're not, it's because you're not thinking hard enough. You're not trying to get better.
0: Amazing. And is this, this is right in the vein of the messages that we had going back and forth on LinkedIn and talking about, you know, intentionally designing the business around your life. Maybe expand this on the concept that we were going back and forth, because I think it's yeah. right in line with everything that we've been talking about on the show.
1: Well, I think one of the tenets that you've got is that you should design your life around the business. Was that is that it or design your business around your life? Yeah,
0: using the business as a vehicle to create wealth, enjoy work, and make an impact is kind of a...
1: And, and you know, what I'm saying is there's no difference. For me, the business actually, what selling blinds, I don't care about selling blinds. I'm not passionate <laughs> about selling blinds. I'm not passionate about beautifying the world, providing privacy and security. That does not provide me a lot of joy. What provides me is joy is just being in business, period. And becoming better and evolving and, and be doing my core values, which I've said a few times already, but I just want to make it clear. Mm-hmm. And what there's, if those are true core values, is there any difference between doing that in your life outside of your office than inside? That's who you are. These are not the core values of the business. These are your core values. And that means they apply all the time. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, no matter who you're with, every time, that's what you do. So I think you can have fun and you don't have to have a destination of wanting to ultimately have all these options because you have all those options now. Right now, you have plenty of options and it's up to you as to what you want to do with it. You have control over these things. So decide. Do I... want? Do I want to stay where I am? Am I happy? Do I feel stagnant? Or do I want to do something different? And if you want to do something different, how do you do it? You experiment, you try something. And it doesn't mean you have to bet the farm. Just try something different. It mean, go to a different restaurant than you do. Or go to that restaurant and just order something. <laughs> different. That, right? Don't order the same thing all the time. That can be the first experiment that you do. I'm serious.
2: Uh, you know, these people, oh, I all know you're right. a routine, is guys. one kind
1: of wine. Uh. No, experiment. I know you like that. Try something else. Maybe you like a white uh. instead of that cab. Try a Riesling. Come on.
0: Oh, Jay. So, <laughs> there's so much truth to what you're saying. And, and like, uh, what do you say to the people because it took something really tragic for you to get hit in the face and and you know have this introspective work that where you realize that life is finite. What do you like? What is your response to someone that can't get shook up? You know, shook up or they're kind of what you would say is a asleep or a zombie, and that like they, they they don't have this passion and and vigor that you do. How do you like? How do how do you? What's the catalyst for someone like that?
1: Well, you have a choice. The catalyst is to say, are you happy? If you are, then don't change. If you're fine. That doesn't mean you have to do what I'm saying. In fact, I want your, your your listeners, viewers to listen to everything that I've said, really think about it, and then just throw it all away and do whatever you make sense for you because what works for me is not necessarily going to work for everybody else. But you have a choice to decide what you want. Understand what really matters. What is your purpose? Why are you in business? Are you in business because you want to control your life? You wanna control your destiny? Are you in business because you wanna make a lot of money? Are you in business because you do wanna save the world and you you're, you you wanna create a cure for whatever? These are real, or you just wanna make a lot of money and you wanna control everybody else's life. Whatever it is for you, they're all valid. Mm-hmm. To me, I think it's being compassionate and generous is actually more fun and uh, less stressful, but decide. So you don't you don't have to you don't need a death. I mean, there's a, in the first chapter, I start off by saying death destroys the man. But the idea of death saves him. So, no, you are going to die. People are going to die. And think about that. When you're dead, what have you done? Are you, are you going to have regrets? Mm-hmm. What regrets do you want to prevent? Have you really maximized your time on Earth? Time is scarce. If you don't understand that life is precious and every minute, every second counts, then you really need to uh, go around the world and see how many people really are in bad shape. Have some compassion for these people and have some gratitude Mm -hmm. for where you are. Because most people, if you're running your own business, you're in pretty damn good shape. You're in that percent that a lot of people wish they were there. So stop whining about it. Stop complaining. <laughs> Amen,
0: Jay. Amen. Like I uh, love it. As, uh, as you start this uh, next stage of your, of your journey, like what's your hope for the book and for the you know how are you going to continue to lead these core values in the next stage?
1: Well, uh, I'm still living my core values. Writing a book is definitely. Uh, Improving continuously, evolving. I I knew nothing. I knew as much about starting a business as I did writing a book, and just kind of over four years, wrote it, edited it, published it. It's coming out in in about three weeks on November thirtieth. This is twenty twenty one, and that's fun. That that's I'm doing that. It's just another vehicle for evolving. And I told you it was because I wanted to help my initially the employees. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing. I'm on five boards from almost seed round up to I'm on a public board, Masonite, New York Stock Exchange. That's evolving. I've never done that. I've never been on a public board before, so I'm learning. I'm on the audit committee. That's where my CPA is actually coming in handy. (laughs) That's super fun because I'm with a lot of sharp people, really smart. It's manufacturing. I've never done manufacturing, so I've got to learn that really fast. That's fun, too. And then all these others that are sort of at various stages, whether they're getting their B round or the D round and and working with the other investors and the venture capital people and listening how they're thinking. and I'm thinking, hey, can we put a little more humanity into this a little bit? Uh, can we think about more people? Can we think about customer experience, uh, that kind of stuff? branding. What is our message? How do we feel about our people? What are we doing to help our people? Can we think about that a little bit? So that's what I'm doing. And then I've got five children, but they're all adults. They're all in their 30s. And I have seven grandkids, my seven startups. So the oldest oldest startup is uh, seven. And she'll be eight in a few weeks next month. So I've gotten nothing. Oh. I'm building a house. Why don't am I building a house? I don't need a new house. I've got a great house. I've always wanted to build a house. I wanted to see what that was like. I wanted to evolve and try it and experiment. And, you know, sometimes it's really, really fun. sometimes it's frustrating, but that's what I'm doing. I'm okay, trying what to do? help my, okay, kids, I- my grandkids, all these companies. I'm teaching in the business school at Rice University. Helping them figure out whether they want to take that job at Amazon or, or start their own business. Those are tough choices, actually.
0: Start, the, start your own business and sell back. Or, to or, or,
1: <laughs> or become a consultant at Bain or something like that, where they're paying you a bunch of money for these jobs. And now you're going to go into something that has a very low likelihood of success. And you may not even be able to eat for a while. I mean, how bad do you really want this? And it's a, tough, it's a tough decision because they've got good ideas and they're passionate about it. But it's a hard decision, especially if they're married and they've got responsibilities to somebody else. So I'm just trying to help people with their lives. And it. in turn, it's very satisfactory for me. Super blessed. And, grateful. I, and, and I can just tell that you're I mean, you're
0: I can tell that it's real for you. And, and I'm curious, what? when what keeps your perspective on all this like you know what other like practices that you have that like you know you wake up every day and everybody wants this but, you know but life can be hard sometimes and the hard things that you know like you said the failures help you learn but like what what keeps your your perspective on the right side
1: um okay so we this has all been all positive stuff right pretty aspirate <laughs> yeah, i would say so <laughs> uh death death is what give, keeps my perspective I am, I said that quote before about uh, the idea of death saves man. That is true Mm -hmm. for me. I think about it all the time. Not that I'm worrying about it, but how lucky I am to be alive and how lucky I am to have something. And I want to know just what am I capable of? What can I do? What are my children capable of? What are my grandchildren capable of? What influence can I have over them? over the students, over these companies that I'm on the board. Every day, I'm trying to do something that will make a difference and help me and everybody around me get better than they ever believe possible. These really are my core values. This is what I do. And death is my prime motivator. <laughs> when i when you boil it down and i think about why were we successful i like, go well we had great marketing well why did we have great marketing and you can take this down and you know ask yourself the five questions ultimately when you get down to the real answer the the first principle it's death i am worried that i'm not going to be able to achieve everything i can or help everybody around me before i die and i'm perfectly healthy i I'm, it's not like i'm to my knowledge uh, terminally ill, <laughs>
0: <laughs> to my knowledge.
1: <laughs> I just I just have that perspective. My mother died when she was forty six, when I was in college, from cancer, and my wife died from cancer at forty seven. Those things, unfortunately, have provided a type of perspective limits on how bad things can be. It's almost like there's a floor. That's the floor. Death. Everything mm-hmm. above. Of over that is gravy. It's blessings. It's things to be grateful for, and and it, I know it sounds really again soft and squishy, and but that really is what keeps me going. Well, and and, it, and it's
0: like you said, it's uh, it's so interesting, Jay. Like I um, there's a you know the stoicism I came across that when I was listening to Tim Ferriss' podcast years ago, and I read this Benjamin Franklin uh, biography. And honestly, when Benjamin Franklin got to towards like the last third of his life, he said that death was every third thought. And it's just this great <laughs> recalibration thought. It just kind of like look, brings it back to square one. And like, and, and it's just, it is a, it's a, this, what's it, what the whole thing that you can't have gratefulness or appreciation living in the same space as fear. So like, I mean, it really like eliminates it. <laughs> it's the way to eradicate the, the other side.
1: Well, we could take this to a whole other level when we talk about meditation and and which I do. I do meditate. And there's a Are lot you of t-
0: transcendental meditation or what kind of meditation? Well, I
1: I just do breathing and I, I just it's just it's part of my morning ritual where I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not gonna go through my read my book and you'll get the whole ritual. <laughs> Uh, but it's, well, that—that's that, that. <laughs> it, but, but that uh, is really ultimately when you think about meditation, it's about not fearing death. They don't like to say mm-hmm. that, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is. It's—it's it's looking at death head is, on and saying, "I am fine."
0: This has been so so enjoyable, Jay, and I and I y- y- you you have a lot for people to look up to. And I think it's, uh, this has been just a lot of fun. I got two, two last questions, and I'll let you run.
1: Um,
0: the first one is the word intentional. What does it mean to you? I feel like I'm going to, I've, I've been getting an hour of what you would think of it. (laughs) So, um, in, in a a shorter version, what does the word intentional mean?
1: Well, Knowing what you want. I think you had mentioned that before, knowing what you want and being very specific in your behavior, not just thinking and knowing, but executing. Plenty of people talk. I think Benj- using Benjamin Franklin, and it was an autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. An autobiography, I think, and it's an awesome book. I love that book. It's short. In fact, he didn't even finish it, it right? So, one of his.
0: Um, all the one that I read was definitely not short. It was. He oh. was like forty hours on
1: Audible. So, all right, yeah, then it it's was, a different uh, it was, book. It was, it was- but the autobiography <laughs> of Benjamin Franklin is a really good book. Um, uh, he what one of the things that he said is well done is better than well said. So don't just talk about it. Don't just think about it. Do it. Oh, that's
0: awesome. The next question is, where can people buy your book and find more about you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. <laughs> All the usual <laughs> places: <laughs> uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Books a Million. Uh, right now, you pre-order, uh, but in a couple of weeks, it's going to be wide open and buy as many as you can. Now I'm really hoping that this is a way for me to leverage all the things that we've been talking about to people who I'll never be able to meet. Because now Mm -hmm. I do it through events, I do it through podcasts, and this helps a lot too to get the message out, helping people become better than they ever believe possible. But when they read the book and then they pass it on to somebody else, they get other people to buy it, they buy it for their team members, uh, for their leadership team, it's about disrupting themselves as opposed to being disrupted by everyone else, that brings me joy, and that's what that's what I'm hoping is going to happen with everything. Lead from the core: the four principles for profit and prosperity.
0: Jay, I want I want everybody to to go out and get their copy too, because I, uh, if it's way more of this, then uh, it's going to be very good for the for everybody that's that's uh, being touched by the bug. Thank you so much for coming thank on you,
1: the show, Jay. Brian, thank you so much for having me.
3: I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Jay. I hope everybody can find the level of happiness that Jay does in life. And I can tell by the the questions that I was asking and how he was answering them that he has lived and embodied these four E's that he has put together in his principles. And they guide every decision that he makes in business and life. And he course corrects using them. He makes sure that he prioritizes the things that are in front of him using them. And he enjoys the ride. I mean, I really, truly believe he does. And I want that for everybody. And that's been one of the main missions behind this podcast and what we're doing at Arcona with Intentional Growth is to make sure that people understand who they are, what they want from their business and why, and to use their business and their journey as a vehicle to make the wealth the enjoyment and the impact that they they know is possible in life. If you need clarity on what's important to you and why, like Jay does, go check out the intentional growth training, arcona.io, the curriculum's there. You know, the reason that principle number one is your driver is because you have to spend the time to reflect and think about what's important to you, because that should guide every decision making uh, or decision that's in front of you. And that's why we principle number two is a financial targets, because we know that people are going to naturally go, well, what does this mean to me financially? Am I going to be OK? And so when you stack those two on top of each other, it starts to crystallize in front of you the financial impact of the decisions and how to stay true to your core. So go check out Jay's book, go check out the Intentional Growth Training, and then until next week, have a good one.